0: That's the free-firing gunshot solo, which gives you a fair indication of what our good friend Ben Wheatley's new movie is all about. Deliberately avoiding convoluted plotting, the narrative does hinge on a telephone and an awful lot of shooting. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a podcast in which we explore the relationship between music and the screen. Ben, of course, was our first ever guest on this show, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome him back to discuss Free Fire, a super stylish action comedy, which he co-wrote with his wife and longtime creative partner Amy Jump. Now the film scored by Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury, who took sonic inspiration from David Shire's experimental jazz funk suite for the taking of Pelham 123. Excuse, as if any were needed, to play you some of it. This is nice because you were our first ever podcast. Yes. So thank you That's right. for doing that one. <laughs> Thanks that for good. coming back. <laughs> I can't remember where you were with Free Fire when we talked last, but we couldn't really talk about
2: it. It was probably shot and edited. It just took a long time because of the festival process to come out.
0: The music in it's brilliant. It's a relationship that was built working on High Rise with Jeff and Ben. You said already, you know, the music started for Free Fire whilst you were still making High Rise with those two.
2: Yeah, it was the conversations that we were having backwards and forth and it had started with David Shire, really, with the soundtrack for the taking of Pelham 123. 2 3. <laughs> Penum 123 is quite interesting because I always assumed that the soundtrack for that was really long, like a contemporary movie, which is just larded with music from end to end. Yeah, and so I bought it, you know, which is a rare thing
1: because <laughs> I couldn't find it
2: anywhere. <laughs> so I bought it and it cost me like 35 quid. It was a stinger on a CD as well. Wow,
0: know. that's really, I mean, yeah, I was thinking Rhino there, but yeah, yeah. yeah no,
2: it's wow. quite rare. I'm sure that people can find it for two <laughs> but I couldn't anyway. <laughs> Bought this thing, and it was like it's 12 minutes long. That album, there's hardly any music on the thing in 123. I was really surprised, you know, both from being kind of a mean person and, wow. and having spent quite a lot of money on an album that was only as three long pounds as, a
0: minute. Yeah, no. yeah it's <laughs> like a in good matter,
2: yeah. It's like a basically like a 12 inch that I'd bought. <laughs> Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> um, we, which got me thinking you know it's kind of interesting that that there's hardly any music on it and a lot of movies around that period in the 70s didn't have tons of music yeah. necessarily or tons of score and they also
0: repeated quite a lot of stuff didn't yeah, they yeah they'd
2: have a theme that they'd go back mm. to but even in, in Pen 1, 2, 123 when you watch it it's got a little bit of music at the beginning a tiny bit of music in the middle mm. and then a bit at the end yeah. You know, so we approached the film in a very different way you know uh, Amy and I because we didn't want to put temp music on it um, I know we had a long conversation about temp music before and by the way I really Listen listened to that podcast and I'm talking incredibly quickly in that. I Shocking. Think we,
0: no, well I didn't really notice what, what I did notice was all the sirens and the buses in the back because we did it at the picture <laughs> central house but I don't yeah. remember maybe we sped it up slightly. Right right. I just time, what, I was going on
2: too much yeah because I thought a, I'm inhumanly fast. Anyway so um, yeah so we, we didn't use any temp music in in the film and it's the first time we'd ever done that cut a film with no music. Cause every time we put music over it it made it weird and different and we'd gathered a load of thrillery music and and y music and yeah. David Shire music and all this stuff. But whenever we put it on it just made the film seem lame, you know, and, and like the other films and not like itself. So we decided to cut it silent. You know, I think I've read that a lot of editors kind of swear by that, that you shouldn't really put temp on, because it basically props the movie up where it might not necessarily deserve to. Yeah. And your generous use of the Harry Potter soundtrack uh, across your whole film was adding a a layer of sweetness that maybe it didn't deserve or something, (laughs) you know. So we showed it to Ben and Jeff and went, look, here, where do you think the music should go? Oh, wow. Rather than, here's a load of very famous music, please replace it. And that made for a kind of approach where they didn't write that much music, so the score's quite short for the Mm -hmm. film. But where it comes in, it really, really counts. Ben and Jeff had this idea, which was that all the music is going to be like source music and found music, even their score. And that they had this kind of, they spun me this fantasy that I'd walked into a a record shop and I bought this kind of weird prog rock garage band album. And I'd taken it home and I put it on my record player and plugged it into the edit and it fitted the film and then I used that album i was like right okay how's that work then he goes well we're gonna go and write that album now so it was oh, kind of conceptual wow. It it's quite yeah, interesting yeah. so and so they recorded it with quite a lot of the musicians from beak uh, on on it yeah. um and they made they created a kind of free fire band Something like High Rises, uh, Clint Mansell would go and write the temp and that would be on synth and then, then it would get arranged and then we would record it with yeah. a, with the orchestra and then we'd have all those different stems of violins and oboes and whatever. And you can change around in the mix and then you might want to choose one bit or another. But with this, it was just like a big slab of music yeah. which you couldn't unpick. <laughs> and that was it and we just, laid it, we just laid it on top of the film and away you, away you go. you The idea that they had was that they wanted to make music that was period but they also didn't want to make it pastiche so mm. they looked at the composers around the time like shire david shire and uh, lalo Schifrin, and all these guys and tried to work out what it was that made them from that period <laughs> It's not wah-wah pedals or or even particular instruments. What it is is their background, and their background is from usually from jazz and free jazz. And they're guys who've gone through telly, certainly Schifrin did, and then had to make loads and loads of music for cop shows. So it's like kind of their day job. At night, they're all out blowing saxophones in clubs, but during the day, they're writing guitar-based stuff for cop shows. Schifrin kind of moves up. The ladder ends up doing things like Bullet and Dirty Harry. thing that makes them unique is that the the crazy jazzness makes them very bold in terms of what instruments they use and what rhythms they use and stuff in a way that someone who'd just come up through a band might not be. So that's what Ben and Jeff brought to the soundtrack. They just went we're going to make it mental. You know? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Film scoring work before?
2: Yeah, well, they—I'd first come across them on a record called Drock, D-R-O-K-K, which mm-hmm. is well worth checking out. And Drock is a swear word in uh, 2000 AD. It's what Judge Dredd says a lot. Okay. Yeah, so it's a made-up swear word that kids oh, can like read in a, in a newspaper without getting in trouble. trouble yeah. <laughs> the soundtrack for dread and there were some shenanigans and it didn't yeah. get used but it's phenomenal absolutely brilliant I kind of got that first, and then they did uh, the soundtrack for Ex Machina. Yeah, and they, they were the two scores they yeah. did. And I think Ben had done stuff for; he he had a whole career writing stuff for natural history documentaries and mm. and that side. And then teamed up with Jeff to do Drock. The Ex Machina soundtrack is very kind of minimalist synth yeah. stuff, and Free Fire is very very different from that.
0: couple of songs that you were going to use to open Free Fire, but they were almost like too literal. Yes. In terms of, oh, it's great, but the title of the track's kind of almost too
2: much. Yeah, well, there was a really, I had a really big playlist of tracks and I was trying to find grungier and grungier stuff. <laughs> I ended up with The Real Kids Do The Boob through just searching Boston. <laughs> 1977 i think it was and it came up with a massive load of stuff and i found this track and I listened to it and I went well, it's something really sleazy and nasty yeah. and as the drums coming in because i've seen the beginning of the film a lot doing the q a's drumming's really bad I was geeky, yeah yeah it kind of goes yeah. out of time like the third hit, of's just a shake and going round town wanting to, why is the music so rubbish? It should be like it used to be, like what? They want it to be more like rock and roll and yet they're playing this odd mishmash of punk and new wave and slightly uncool end of the street that's not happening at CBGB's, isn't it, you know? So um, that really coloured the whole process. (laughs) And then when I played it to Jeff and Ben, they were like, Oh, this is really sleazy. This is nasty. This is heroin, this this music. is just grim. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And they basically changed the whole soundtrack around that. Because before we had a bit more of a heavy parping steel, brass David Shire stuff. Yeah. And they just scrapped that straight away and said no. <laughs> Jeff said the music has got to be as stupid as the characters. Was <laughs> he thought? I was like, "Oh, thanks, Jeff. That's great." Um, I but... think. <laughs> but I'd listen to other stuff. Like, I found a cover of um, "Hanging on the Telephone," and I thought that was—I always thought it was a Blondie track—and mm. it's like—and it's not. The, the cover of Hanging on the Telephone is by the nerves and, that's, and that sounds, it's a bit Beatlesy, Yeah. But then it's also, it's heading towards the Ramones as well, you know, it's got that vibe to it that yeah. it's, it could go either way, you know, at that point. And I like that kind of moment where, you know, it's 70, the film never says when it's set, but it's kind of like 77, 78, but it's punk and disco and everything happening at the same time, you know.
1: Yeah. So I quite like I'm in the bubble there's the one the John Denver story for
0: you. And the John Denver, which, you know, is part of the narrative of the film, was that always going to be the case?
2: Yeah, it was written into it from the very first draft. And it had come from the first image I'd had for the movie, which is of a man in a van driving in a circle in a warehouse or some kind of covered area and he's bleeding to death and what would be the worst song to, to listen to while you were doing this and, and he's like lying on the yeah I was thinking he's lying on the seat going oh I'm really in agony but I actually don't really enjoy this track I really should turn it off I've only got a certain amount of energy I could save myself or I could just turn this track off
1: You fill up my senses Like a night in a forest
2: I love the track, you know, the track's a track I heard when I was a kid. And it's a beautiful track, it's a really well written yeah. track as well, from my humble opinion.
0: <laughs> I think we may well see John Denver re-entering the uh the charts after the charts, this as well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think people it, it, are gonna go out and go, God, John Denver. Ben Wheatley's got him in his film, he's cool, let's listen to him. <laughs> definitely. I
2: hope so. You me know. too.
1: Let me give my life to you. Senses, me again.
2: The Frankie Goes to Hollywood track at the end of Sightseers. Went to number one the Christmas after Sightseers came out because of Sightseers because it, it went around the advertising world and they saw it and then they put it on the John Lewis um, yeah ad so I remember yeah sitting in a cafe and it coming on and at like, number one it's the cover of Reggie Goes Hollywood and I was like eating a sandwich going huh oh, I kind of I think I might have made that happen <laughs> 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 maybe. <laughs>
0: I watched High Rise again, and it's really interesting when you watch films three or four times, but there was a couple of moments that just really kind of resonated with me. One was the the scene where it's all kind of starting to go doolally, and uh, it goes from the supermarket with the pulsating techno into the dangerous liaison party upstairs with the string version of SOS, and it's seamless. It's amazing. It's almost like the elevator doors close and open and the music does the same.
2: That's the bit that has the really harsh cutting as well, isn't it? The lights are going on yeah. and off. And I remember yeah, when we were in Toronto and uh, some guys came up to me and said, look, um, they'd seen the film and uh, the audience were shouting at the screen at that bit going, the film is broken! <laughs> Apparently, because they couldn't take the editing. No. And I was so chuffed. I was like, yeah, it is broken. That's f- the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> it's broken. <laughs>
0: Can we talk a little bit more about Clint on that film? I remember coming to see him do his live show at the, the Royal Festival yeah. Hall when you introduced him. Yeah. And, you know, you both kind of told the story about he wasn't able to do the film at a certain point, but mm. you wanted to wait for him because he was the right man for that job.
2: Yeah. Paul Clint had had this tragedy, but he didn't want to just bow out of the job. He wanted to talk it through, like, a kind of to have closure kind of yeah. thing on it. And I went to see him, and I was excited just to see him. I was sad that he was sitting under those circumstances Yeah. Appalling. So we had, a, we had a drink and kind of a chat, and and it just came out of that really. And he's um, he's got two incredibly large hollow legs and can drink for for Britain. So I, he completely destroyed me at this bar. And then at the end it was like oh, and then we kind of agreed to do it. You know, I was like, all right, well wait, it's fine, Clint, don't worry about it. And he's like, oh, I will, right, well, I will do it then, right at the end of it. So I was like. Oh, and then I woke up the next morning. And go, Oh my God! Oh, what's <laughs> happened? Uh, you know, had to go to a kind of of quiet place and drink water for about <laughs> six months to recover from it. <laughs> course wait for him why not you know it's like you know his stuff's brilliant for me moon is about as close as you get to a perfect soundtrack yeah i've got it on my on my phone you know and so occasionally it comes up and go oh it's moon great yeah you know and it it's makes...
0: like a good friend
2: isn't yeah, it? yeah 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 it's so brilliant how I'd wanted to do it because yeah. you know you want to get people in really early to combat this whole dull world of the temp so yeah. we did Amy I and I broke all our own rules and stuck temp all over it and then we had the problems that we knew were going to happen you know, but, but it was fine you know, it was kind of um, it was worth it for working with Clint I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect that he'd be, you know, so open and easy to work with. You know, cuz I'm I I, I kind of play the same game sometimes that of this the, the game of being inclusive when you're in totally in control, you know, yeah. um with with work. But I know he he plays it very very well, you know. So I'm sitting there kind of going, I'm I'm in the music making process when I'm completely not, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. But It's great. You know, maybe a tambourine here. <laughs> yes, there'll be a tambourine there. <laughs> you know.
0: Cowbell on the next one yeah yeah. Yeah a little bit about Amy and you guys working together and how much the two of you kind of discuss music and is it around you whilst you're working together writing the script?
2: I'm the one who listens to a lot of music and Ames has got her own world of music that she has in the car <laughs> yeah. which is separate from mine which does include quite a lot of Elbow albums and weirdly Julian Casablanca's um, solo project. uh, projects okay. and stuff, yeah. so I, I don't have anything to do with this. So I come <laughs> yeah. and you know these discs turn up from Amazon and then disappear <laughs> off to the car because I don't drive. So she drives around in the Volvo from um, home <laughs> sightseers. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which we've got. And uh, what I really like about that car is that it got dinged so one of the doors had to be changed and we said to the mechanics we don't want a door that matches, we want one that's wrong so that everyone knows when they're near it that this is a car that's dangerous, you know, (laughs) that doesn't care. quite sensitive to music you know she needs quiet while she's writing so she doesn't have anything on her listening world is in the car and on headphones when she's walking the dog but not in the house that much so I tend to like have the radio on playing some music and then when she comes in I turn it off (laughs) 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 um so that's that and then in writing I don't tend to listen to anything with lyrics when I'm writing because Mm -hmm. it's too distracting and I found that I've been listening to the soundtrack from Lord of the Rings quite a lot Wicked. Because it's a bit rousing, and you're often you're climbing up a mountain to drop a ring into a lava pit. And that is what I feel <laughs> like when I'm writing. <laughs>
0: next then is Freak Shift I'm assuming you've got a big playlist for that
2: yeah well it's massive you know it's been on the cards since 2012 so a very old playlist for Freak Shift and the playlist for Freak Shift is currently girl bands mainly wow. from the 50s yeah. all the way through to Maya MIA yeah which one is it MIA MIA yeah okay and um <laughs> and Beyonce and all that.
0: Fleecy Lordy. Lordy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like Beyonce,
2: you know. And uh, oh, what's it? The Tigra, the punk into the street, and yeah. American punk and UK punk. You know, and then Leader of the Pack and the Shangri-Las and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So it's a big old... <sighs> of women's voices.
1: He's so small. He kissed me goodbye. The tears were beginning to show. As he drove away on that rainy night, I begged him to go slow. Would um, he heard, I'll never know. Look, no, 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 look, no, here, look no. out! Look out! Look out! Look out. I felt so helpless. What could I do?
0: That's what you guys do consistently through the films is the females, they're just written so brilliantly and they're strong characters.
2: I think the films aren't made from a male perspective or a female perspective, they're made from a couple's perspective, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. And I think that that's really important, you know. It's funny, I mean I got cornered by someone the other day in the team Free Fire. They go, Oh, it's very male. I'm like, well, it's written by a woman. And they're like, Oh damn, is it damn? Damn
0: it! <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for coming back to chat to us, Ben, and congratulations on Free Fire. It's bloody awesome.
2: Or well, congrats on your podcast because it's great and what a load of amazing people. You must have a, loads of negatives of them doing really terrible things to get them all all those amazing people in.
0: I'm not going to see anything
1: on <laughs> <in> that one. Yeah.
0: The soundtrack to Free Fire that's Run Through the Jungle by Creedence Clearwater Revival Rounding off part two of my conversation with Ben Wheatley Huge thanks to Ben for taking time out to chat to us again he really does offer a fresh insight into his films Free Fire is on general release now with Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury's score available via our good friends at Lakeshore Records Check out the first instalment of my conversation with Ben by heading to Edith Bowman which features plenty more about the music in Kill List, Sightseers and Field in England, as well as Clint Mansell's work on High Rise. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And do rate us on iTunes if you get a moment. We're taking a week off for Easter to eat copious amounts of chocolate, so we'll see you back here in a fortnight. And I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.